Welcome to, or welcome back to, the Flowcast. This is the podcast for information and inspiration on your journey to finding your flow. My name's RJ, and I'm joined by my co-host, Telsey. Together, we explore topics surrounding flow, as well as lead by example through our own passions and those of the guests that we interview. So let's dive right in. Hey, everyone. Just before we get started, big thanks, as always, to Flow Spa for making it possible for us to keep making this podcast. Flow Spa is Peterborough's float therapy and sports recovery center, providing float tanks, infrared sauna, contrast therapy, and the Normatec recovery system for deep relaxation and recovery and to help you find your flow. So welcome to the show, Sylvie. Thank you for having me. No, it's been, it's, um, it was just, it was really interesting timing. As you said, we just kind of reconnected through this difficult time. Um, it, everything that you've been doing just stood out to me online. And um, just with everything I've been learning as far as trying to, I guess, you know, that quote unquote influencer or thought leader kind of idea and just trying to figure out what what I'm doing and how I can kind of lead through this time. Um, it stood out to me as you're doing all this vocal coaching and, and the webinars and everything, and they're amazing. So I realized like this is a really interesting topic, at least to me. And I think a lot of people agree with, you know, the number of um, people that are joining in on your webinars. So yeah, I thought it was a great time to, to um, kind of share a little bit more about what you're doing. Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Sylvie, and me and RJ have known each other since um, university days in our undergrad years. Um, so since I, you know, since we were hanging out during that time, I suppose afterwards I'll tell you about a little bit of my journey so that you know mm-hmm. how I ended up where I ended up. Yeah, I definitely um, want to get into so that. I, yeah. <laughs> um, so my undergrad was a BA in speech communications and fine and performing arts from the University of Waterloo. And then I moved back home to Vancouver uh, to study acting for a while. And that's where I discovered voice work and body work. And I found for myself, there was a transformation in understanding how to shift my voice into different places, but also it unlocked a lot of different things of why I wouldn't speak in certain ways or why I wouldn't show anger or where was that place of my voice? Why was it missing? Or was I really adhering to stereotypes that I could speak in this voice all the time? And uh, so really understanding that gave me an insight into really understanding how powerful voice work was. Um, So when I was still working as an actor and kind of just doing a lot of different things, juggling um, in Vancouver, I applied for my master's program, which is based in London, UK, at the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama. And I finished my master's of fine art and voice studies in 2017. And I've been running my business, SLBC Voice Training in London, since 2018. And I've been basically pivoting a lot of my work that is historically given to performers and actors and understanding how to fill up a theater with their voice or understanding how to use accent work and I've bridged it into the corporate world helping people effectively communicate and I suppose because of my background in acting I do understand a lot about um, 
how we come across in front of camera and the presence that we need there, but also the presence is very different in live, live delivery. So when we think about presentations of pitches at, in the boardroom and things like that. Um, so that's what I've been doing. And um, I suppose how RJ and I reconnected was that I was offering a free since that we've been in lockdown in London and um, I didn't know what to do with myself. Um, basically my business is that a little bit of it slowed down, but it's kind of picking up just a tiny bit right now. But it was definitely dead at the beginning of lockdown, so late March and April. Yeah. And um, to keep myself busy, I created a series of webinars. And each week, I come up with a new title, depending on what the people need. And it's been very interesting because it's given me structure to share my knowledge and also just to share some of the things that I do, but also allow me to have to think about it, especially in a time where I'm not teaching it. Because generally speaking, I wouldn't be talking about it outside of teaching hours. Right. But um, it's been pretty cool having people log in like yourself from Canada, where now it's quite international in these webinars. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's super cool. Um, it's a really good idea. And I mean, it, it, I feel... I, I almost feel bad. Like I, I, I'm, I joined in on episode five or six. I, I think it was episode five, maybe four or five. Um, but they're, they're really amazing. And, and I think it was just, it was the right timing. Cause I've, I've been thinking about, um, and, and so one th we'll get into more of like the, I guess the, the question around the thought leader or the influencer, but first you mentioned kind of transitioning into the the corporate kind of side of, of vocal coaching and what was it that kind of drove you along that route um i think honestly it's because my family is all corporate and i kind of was a black sheep that kind of went off into the fine arts route and again it's really hard coming from let's just say chinese canadian family because the values are very different than just allowing someone to do whatever they want especially if it doesn't um reap a lot of you know financial success in the beginning and you don't see it yet and so therefore it was a it was a journey just trying to even do what I wanted to do but going to corporate I felt like it was because um, the people in corporate don't generally speaking get this type of training that is geared towards actors mm -hmm. and I felt that there was such a rich experience and it is an enriching experience for them to be able to harness their skills through this other avenue than just going to the generic workshops which are public speaking and that type of thing when there's so many different subtleties and nuances in the layers of understanding how our vocal communication and understanding the physical alignment of the body and the anatomy have to do with that rather than just thinking oh it's just mindset it's just positivity but there's actually tactile things that you can do in actionable exercises totally yeah that's like that's what um i mean even just watching the first few of the webinars has has blown me away with it, it clicks in it's something that didn't really make sense or i didn't we, we don't normally think about but it really makes a big difference so what are some of the not not like quote unquote promises but what are some of the the things that you kind of see evolve or change as people undertake a little more vocal coaching and in discovering this kind of or un unlocking this potential in themselves I think um, the foundation, the root of it is confidence and it may be vocal confidence or it might be self-confidence, but 
working through everything that we work through in bulk coaching, it does feed into these two different types of confidences. And it can honestly be from something about speaking a little bit slower or speaking a little bit quicker, speaking with pace, or just not thinking about where you should, what you're speaking about or being able to project your voice. It can be a whole different set of different exercises based on each individual and what they actually need. And also based on their audience because it's different for different people. Let's just say someone's pitching a product, but you might be pitching to two completely different companies and one company stands for a more holistic very zen um, type of style and then one might be really punchy so then you need to really think about where do i want to deliver from what is my habitual and then how do i shift that for that client and also shift it for this client just to see how it works because we can't go into everywhere just as one person but we okay. need to kind of be very self-aware of ourselves and what we need to shift yeah that's something that um i I find that I struggle with quite a bit because um, sort of, I guess, going back to like where I've ended up after, you know, and reconnecting, like, I think you sort of know, I, I um, also opened Flow Spa, which is um, like a float therapy and, and sort of like the sports recovery, different aspects. And it's supposed to be a very Zen kind of environment. But the interesting thing is I'm so excited and passionate about it that I often find that my energy levels like way up here when I'm interacting with new customers and trying to you know guide them through what the experience is going to be like and uh and and so it's weird right because you kind of see that stereotypical um like spa voice and I definitely like I don't for a I don't know if like it's it's absolutely necessary but be like I definitely get super excited and forget that part of it and I'm, I just like you know I'm going off on a super hyper tangent or something and not not connecting in that or like not in that grounded way it's it's interesting um it's something that I definitely feel like I need to work on a little bit more because as I mentioned uh, in the last um webinar I was on is kind of finding that balance um we, we do like a lot of guided meditations and stuff. And I just, I'm not sure that my energy level is at the right level to do that. So I'm trying to figure out how to kind of portray these two different styles. Yeah. And yeah, I would say those two would be quite different in terms of meditation versus, you know, when you're introducing someone to coming into your spa. Mm. Um, but I think there's nothing wrong with high energy, especially if it's one, it's your business, it's your individuality yeah. of, you know, how you want to show yourself and also your journey of, you know, doing um, st um, strength and conditioning and also the heavy lifting and everything, because that comes from a completely different avenue where the type of energy that is in that community doesn't leave you because it's still one of your passions yeah. and i think that from that feeling it into this bob that's your path and when you have that you can kind of carve your own path and how you want to um, share this new experience that you can give other people especially if they come from that avenue of heavy lifting and they want to relax their bodies versus somebody who just does um, restorative yoga 24 7 and then trying to look for a spa that's just as zen so i don't think that there's a too much that is wrong with being high energy with that but definitely probably listening and um, especially when we're in that high energy place where we want to share so much and listening to what the client needs i think mm. that would probably be um something 
that is easily kind of attainable because then you just kind of listen a little bit more, but you can right. still be on the same energy. But definitely, I think for meditation, that's a that's an interesting one because it, I suppose it depends on what type of meditation you want to guide. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, because there are different types of meditations where it's okay to be a little bit higher energy. And I think part of what um, kind of clicked into realizing this importance with the the vocal training is are you familiar with tony robbins at all yeah so did (laughs) you watch did you watch his uh documentary on netflix i think i did a while ago Uh, but so anyway the the long story short there's a scene where he's like practicing his 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 um like scales and uh and so he's going through vocal training um which is really interesting right because he's got that like gravelly voice that's like um it doesn't sound it doesn't sound like he could to sing to save his life essentially um but as i've been kind of diving into some of the the curriculum that other people teach in this world of whether you want to call it personal development or thought leadership or influencers a lot of them are doing this vocal training and i don't think it's something that they often kind of bring to the surface as maybe a really important component of, of their development and, and training. Um, but kind of the tangent here that I'm going on is sort of the, the, the idea of, well, for one, like you mentioned, not all meditations have to be super like Zen. Some of them are more like, um, like the Wim Hof style breathing, getting people energized and fired up. Um, but also like going into, uh, something that really stood out to me in the last webinar that I find super fascinating is where's the the line between the personal development and the vocal coaching? And I just, I, I know, I, I don't know if it's, um, if you're kind of tired of this question because you just went over it like not too long ago, but it's a really fascinating question to me that I, I'm still uh, my head's still like buzzing around. So if you want to like rant on that a little bit, that'd be awesome. Sure. Um, yeah, I think it really depends on the individual that's undertaking the coaching. If somebody is more into their self-development, they will see it in that way. And some people will see it as just a quick fix with just an actionable exercise to make sure that they could just turn it um, in the next week for their presentation. So I think it really comes down to who that individual is and how they think about it, because it can go very, very deep. The voice work can go super, super deep, almost into almost therapy-like sessions where you're trying to break through into a clarity of sound, but then you're thinking about what have I been holding on to to make the sound not be, be so compressed and, and suppressed in a way. And when you start to deep dive into that, it can become self-development, personal development journey. Um, But it really just depends on if they want to go there. And also as a voice coach who's not certified as a psychotherapist or any therapist, I wouldn't want to go into those realms because it's very, very gray, these areas. And just like Mm -hmm. in the last webinar we were talking about, especially in acting school, there are a lot of lot of different gray areas where um, therapy kind of feels like therapy. And therefore, you need to go find a counselor after to speak to, especially if something comes up for you. And definitely because the voice 
is your identity and how you speak and, and whatever that has shaped your voice to be what it has become. Um, when you start to unravel that and you kind of peel away the layers of, let's just say, an onion of it, um, you sometimes find some demons in there that you need to uh, face. And it depends on if you want to face it. For the people who do, likely they'll want to talk to somebody about it or find some type of coping mechanism. But that sometimes doesn't have to do with me but i might have lifted up something yeah, and yeah. um and i think that's really where the line is between between personal development um and that because vocal development yeah it's a, it's it's really muddy water sometimes it really just depends on the outset the guidelines when you have your consultation to see where they want to go with that yeah yeah no that's uh it's super interesting and i now i'm drawing like a parallel with even with float therapy, right? Because you're in the float tanks alone. And um, I, I often refer to it with that sort of, you know, a lot of people will just call it like the sensory deprivation tanks or the float tanks, but it really is for a lot of people quite therapeutic. But the good point that you make there is that sometimes it, it brings up things that people don't necessarily want to or have the capabilities of, of tackling. And I really like that. Um, that, that thought that, yeah, it might be something on part of somebody's journey where they're going to have to, um, you know, go down the route of maybe looking at some sort of counseling or therapy, um, just if it's bringing stuff up that they didn't realize were, were suppressed or, or repressed issues for them. That's, that's yeah. super fascinating. Mm -hmm. And especially with the physicality of float therapy is that you're literally taking away gravity so that all of the burdens or issues that sit quite heavily on people, generally speaking, you allow that physically to disappear. And mm -hmm. it just depends on if they want to. And when I do some vocal exercises with them, I lay them down on the ground sometimes, especially if it's about breath work. And that's just to let go of all the tension in the body so that gravity takes over. So it takes it away from the body if they, if they let go of it again. So in float therapy, it's kind of the same, but also on a different vein, in a different vein. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, the, and and I was, I've been blown away just by how much with the, the vocal coaching seems to, seems to be a lot like whether it's, you know, instruction, there's a lot of tie in with yoga and meditation and everything with the, with the exercises that you're guiding through, people through. Now, is that something that you you kind of have developed into your own style of it or is that pretty common in like the vocal coaching that there's a lot of this uh, almost I guess like holistic wellness practice with it um holistic wellness practice going into these exercises is something that I choose to do cool. um and I think when it's not holistic for me, I don't really like it is why. And also I, I that's how I take the vocal training. But the exercises is a very kind of fundamental part of what vocal development is in terms of training actors, which is where it comes from, what vocal right. training is. And it's actually very physical. So um, actors will be going through this program three years full time, uh, laying down on the ground at three hours at a time or doing whatever vocal exercises that they need to to open up that space in the body. Because... Um, the muscle tension that starts to build in the body over time, let's just say they enter acting school at 18 years old, 18 years of tension has, has built up to that point. Um, 
you start to um, relax all these different layers of the body and also relaxing the breath because mostly what we're trying to do is relax the broad body so that we get more breath into the body that's easy and once you have that easy breath that breath is what's the power source for the voice to come out and then they're also trying to work on a better vocal quality for resonance for articulation which is tension but added on top of after they've relaxed everything and also for understanding how it needs to feel in terms of if there's tension here nothing can vibrate because tension it takes away vibration of sound so when we start to relax even the muscles in our face muscles in our body muscles in our feet we can sometimes feel that vibration of sound through the body which is quite a thrilling experience <laughs> yeah definitely and um it, it's uh it's something i don't it still blows my mind like the just the, the thought of all of this kind of and i don't know why it never really crossed my my mind as how important it could be for um yeah to the point of like you you talk a lot about like developing authority and gravitas right and uh and so what are what are like some of the the main components of like that style of training versus maybe or is it is it very much similar to what um like any kind of actor is going through or are there specific things that are a bit different in the in the realm of like this corporate kind of training? Authority and gravitas is something that a lot of corporates ask for, especially female uh, corporates, um, mm. and sometimes male corporates, but most, mostly female corporates. But in general, in the sphere of actor training, you more so see those people as individuals. And if they seem to be that they're missing some confidence or they're missing, you know, authority, or perhaps they're more submissive, that's when you would add it in, but they wouldn't be asking for it, right? Because they wouldn't know that they're missing it. Oh, a lot right. of the yeah, so a lot of the corporates who come are, are, are noticing maybe from feedback or maybe by themselves that they're not being heard or that their higher-ups are saying um, after their appraisals that, ah, if you actually build a little bit on this, then I think it's going to be an easier route for you to climb this ladder and so forth. Um, so I think those are the main different parts. I mean, like, it could be taught to anybody, mm -hmm. but you have to really suss out if it's right for that person and if it's what they're looking for. Um, I think that's the main difference between actor training and corporate training is that the corporates are coming to you and asking you for what they need, but also you need to assess, is that what actually what's missing or is it just the surface layer that they're wanting, but there's something a little bit deeper that needs to be kind of unwound and then you get that surface area. Right. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I guess, as you mentioned, those, that's more like where you've led your path down is to training more in that realm, right? Mm. So that's what your, your like typical client looks like now. Yeah, my typical client, like there's a lot of private, private people who come to me who work in corporates and there's yep. corporates who hire me for group workshops and things like that. So I go to them for the whole day, but obviously with virtual stuff, it's um, shifting a little bit. Yeah. And um, some actors have found me recently. So sometimes I help them with accent training as well. So for me, I'm not like an accent specialist, but the only two that I will help people with is either shifting into more of a standard British sound or a standard American sound. Um, and there's other um, dialect coaches out there that kind of take an accent, break it down and teach it to, you know, actors who need to take on a different accent. Mm -hmm. um, but I would say 
vocal training is something that's not very mainstream is probably why it never, you know, you're saying how you'd never thought about it before because people just aren't exposed to it. It's not something that's really offered to regular mainstream non-performer people. Unless you are in performance, generally speaking, you wouldn't cross it unless you're looking for coaching. But then when you're looking for coaching, there's so many life coaches out there, confidence coaches, public speaking coaches. And so therefore, there's not very many of us, but it is quite a niche and competitive field once yeah. you do kind of blend voice back into corporate. Mm. Yeah, I just, I'm just finding that um, exactly what you said, it's not like well known, but something about it to like resonates with me as being super critical. And I feel like maybe it's, maybe it's yet to sort of explode. But I think that the time is maybe coming soon. Um, especially like, you know, your webinar series and everything has been geared a lot around presenting yourself through digital means and kind of the, the, the critical components there, you know, some of the interesting things is obviously depending on, um, like internet quality and stuff, you kind of lose some of the aspects that are really important for presenting and, and getting things across. And then the big thing is like those nonverbal cues. So what's like the kind of, what are the, the main things that people can focus on really in presenting themselves, you know, in this digital means through voice? I think um, it's one to be comfortable with presenting first and yeah. two to be comfortable with looking at yourself and also just to know how you're coming across. So even at your worst view, even if you have just the camera app on that, you know, what is the worst side of you that you kind of already come to terms with this so you're not thinking about it whilst you are on an actual call um and sometimes even being able to turn off your camera because if you find your, yourself always your eyes are drifting down to your own corner and therefore you're not you know listening so much to the person who's speaking or looking at them or being present with them that's mm -hmm. one way to really easily do that um, some of, I, I've posted some videos on LinkedIn before and some of it's on eye contact, especially with digital yeah. where it depends if you're recording videos for YouTube or something, and it's yep. not like a live chat, you might want to be staring at the camera the entire time, but therefore you're not looking at anybody except for a small dot. And yeah. therefore it's going to be very hard unless you have some acting skills to connect to the emotion whilst you're speaking to it versus looking at the person, even if you're not looking at each other. I think it's kind of taken as a standard practice where um, if you're not looking at the camera, it's fine, you know, on a call. But when we're recording videos, it's a very different purpose and mm -hmm. it's a very different avenue depending on what you're, what you're trying to get out of it. For me, I find that I go in and out of camera and looking at myself when I'm recording a video. And I think that's okay because I'm not trying to make a polished, you know, a message just to say, buy this, um, this is what you need right now, right? Um, so it really just depends on what you need. Yeah, and having um having vocal warm-ups, I mean, especially if you are a performer, kind of like what you're doing, um, doing podcasts or starting to do uh, videos and things like that. If we warm up our voices, you think about it as a performance, um, but I think the only reason why a lot of people probably don't work on their voice is because that they're not thinking of it as performance they're thinking about it as everyday life but mm. therefore when you're recording it doesn't really matter if you have the best mic possible because you could also get a better quality in the voice if you physically work on it 
on top of that, which is why a lot of actors who train for screen and not theater at all, they don't think about working on their voice as being as important because they just want to see the end outcome. Yeah, no, those are those are great points. Um, and, and especially like it takes a, a lot of getting used to, I know from firsthand experience to look at the the camera. That's why I actually really like the digital camera because it's got this great big lens. So you know exactly where to look at with it. Whereas, you know, with, with like the webcam, there's a green dot. So I don't even know exactly where it is. And, and, um, and the same thing goes, you know, with the, the FaceTime on like your phone and stuff. But the interesting, I've heard, I don't know if it's true because I've never actually seen it work, but I've heard that FaceTime now has some sort of magic to it where even if you're looking at yourself in the screen, it, it actually shifts your eye position to look directly at the other person. Through, oh, like, I wouldn't know that there's something like that out there. I mean, there's yeah. that other thing where you put your phone on it and it follows you if you're like cooking, doing cooking video and it follows you. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, so I've, I've heard that FaceTime's doing that now, but I haven't actually seen it firsthand. But um, the, uh, I think like one of my favorite um, tips, I think, for that, if somebody isn't very comfortable looking at the camera, is to get like a sticky note and draw like a smiley face on it and then put it like right around the um the camera wherever it is so you, you know if you're gonna have to figure out where it exactly is on your laptop or on your phone like the uh it's that's why i also I sometimes easier on like the back side of the phone you know because you can actually see where the the camera bump is but on the front side like you can't tell where that little like notch is for the camera um but yeah you put a little sticky note with a smiley face around it so that you remember like you're supposed to be you're looking you're communicating as if you're looking at another person rather than just at a camera but it takes a lot of getting used to yeah you can even put a picture of somebody there because then you can connect with it more than a doodle depending on you know if you really remember to smile or if it if you feel like it's just there because sometimes that can happen as well so at least you have a couple of different things that you can do that's a good point too yeah putting like an actual picture and or even just um I know another good tip is just making sure that you like in that even in that vocal warm-up is trying to connect to a your you know your target person or whatever that persona that represents who you're trying to connect with the most um, is another good thing with that. Um, now kind of shifting gears a little bit with this is on this podcast, it's called the Flowcast because we like to talk about that flow state, the the state of essentially optimal consciousness and performance where we kind of become, a lot of people will become fully embodied in the moment. Uh, there's a lot of disruption in, in that sense of time whether it dilates or contracts and um and so that whole thing with with flow i like to dive into what is your flow what are those things that get you into that sort of peak state um because i think like for one for one example especially you know when when you're doing like a full hour webinar presentation it's it's something where it's very easy to get into the flow with it because you know there's a bit of there is a challenge level to it especially if you're pushing yourself with new content that you're presenting um but there's also the challenge in trying to bring others along for that ride so yeah. what are the does that resonate with you like is that somewhere 
in the, the presentations or um, what other things? Because I know you also, yeah. you know, you used to be I a cheerleader. Yeah, <laughs> I think flow happens in a lot of different places in performance. I mean, yeah, in mm -hmm. sports and cheerleading, it's, you know, getting into the flow of making sure everything's going and not thinking so much about it. Um, in terms of the webinars, I create new content for it every time. But because I'm so familiar with the type of content I deliver, even if I switch up the content and it's new, um, it seems to be quite embodied anyway. Yeah. And I just talk my way through it. Um, but flow happens in a lot of different ways because in one-to-one -one, one trainings or group trainings, which is not the webinar, um, when you get into that moment, especially as a teacher, being a good teacher, you listen a lot more for what somebody needs. And I think that's what the flow is. If one, knowing your knowledge enough so that you don't need to think outside to break that flow, but also to be able to flow it into exactly what they need. Mm -hmm. um, and being able to make it a very, very smooth transition all the time and constantly doing that over the full hour. In terms of the webinar, yeah, there's engagement, which you need flow from and flow always breaks when people don't type into the chat or it takes a little bit longer. And then there's a little bit of an awkward pause. But I think as long as we know and we understand that there's a lot of technical difficulties in terms of that and people trying to find it that it's not about us and that doesn't actually break the flow you just kind of need to breathe through it to continue that flow even if it doesn't feel like it's at its peak it was like the best one ever where it just kind of went like whoosh and it yeah. kind of went through um but I think it, it shows up in very like a lot of different ways. But when you're able to identify all of these different things that are happening, you forgive yourself a little bit more for the little hiccups that might happen. Like for me, when I'm working off one screen and I have my PowerPoint up, like I have to open my Zoom first before I can open my PowerPoint and share that screen because otherwise you don't see much and then you can only see a strip of people on cameras. But then also you don't know where the chat's gone. And if the content's new, this is what I see that I struggle with is that yeah. how do I move the chat and the video so that I can see what's on the content so that I know what I'm delivering and um, and once you kind of get used to that and that's kind of what it's been for the last three webinars uh, I started feeling a lot more comfortable cool yeah that's a great points there um, yeah I'm still still trying to tackle the whole challenge around the digital digital flow because group flow is kind of where a lot of people i guess are are getting to more um like mm -hmm. i'm super i'm super interested in that the like the peak levels of flow in in sports and performance and creativity on an individual basis but but the group aspect is you know that's where a lot of corporate structures even are trying to um get to because performance goes through the roof when everybody in the group is all in sync in flow right um and so it is it is a challenge with the digital i find that um like even even compared to the way our conversations normally flow in in the podcast when it's somebody when it's face to face it's quite a bit more challenging to to like bring people into the whole flow of it throughout the full hour or so of a podcast um when it when it is through like zoom or whatever it's it's interesting yeah. for sure 
I think you're doing a pretty good job, even in terms of this podcast and in, in flowing, because obviously we can both feel when a topic's about to end and yep. then you put something in right away. And it seems actually quite seamless where the, there is no actual pause. Um, and I just addressing kind of the individual um, challenge of digital, you know, kind of keeping it up and how do you find that flow? I think um, from watching some of your videos and, and things like that, especially when we're recording ourselves and I do this, I was doing this before I got onto the call. I think it's about self-consciousness and really understanding what you want to go to right away so that we oh, make yeah. as minimal edits as possible or that during the actual filming, when you know you make the mistake is to take the pause right away, center your breath and then just redo it again so that's what voiceover is like all the time if you make a mistake you pause and then you redo it right away because also you don't want your face to move too far out of the frame yeah um so it doesn't jump so much and and i think that's where the flow is is finding out what is the coping mechanism of when we make mistakes or when we get self-conscious because we know we're thinking in here when we get self-conscious when we're recording ourselves and i do this all the time as well mm -hmm. so i'm thinking about this and the in doing that is the process even if it's not perfect on the first kind of like thing without edits is to be able to kind of get into it kind of be energized and you've got yourself ready in that mindset you're doing it and all of a sudden crap I make a mistake and then it's kind of like <sighs> breathing there centering and then kind of well this is what I was saying before <laughs> and then kind of going into it and that's kind of where I find that flow to be when it's individual Mm. So that might be helpful in terms of when you're recording videos, but that's what I actually do. And I've been, I was trying to record a video over the last hour before mm. we got into this call and I'm just like, still don't like it. <laughs> I usually, uh, um, especially in like the, the videos, the vlogs and, and the recordings like that, like you said, yeah, getting into the flow, the more that you know the topic, the more like I, the first videos I did were completely scripted and I was reading and then I'd look at the camera and say it and then I'd forget where I was going and then I'd look back and try to like say it word for word um which comes off more as like you said like a voiceover which I may do for like the mini podcasts and stuff but doesn't exactly feel as natural i guess in the vlog format or youtube where people want to be connected more in the in like an intimate way with the conversation right and with it being yeah more natural so i've i've trained myself i guess to get away from doing that and now it's more i'll have a couple of um overarching themes for the the video or the the topics or whatever um sometimes Sometimes if it's more vloggy, then it's just like one kind of rant. But then other times I, I like to do the, the I guess you call it the infotainment, right? Where it's the information and entertainment kind of aspect. Um, and so it's usually like a couple of lists or a couple of ideas that I'm, I'm going off on to, to provide information with. And um and so yeah i'll have those those main like bullets but not so much the actual script or if i have if i have scripted it all out like i'm like oh that's really good i'll use it in a blog post but i won't actually just say it word for word i'll just try to get the the main ideas off so that's what i've been working a lot on on improving especially as like you said with the the confidence and everything around 
camera and and this whole thing um as that's gotten easier the rest of it has become easier too because yeah i'm not as not as self-conscious with with the um, information that i'm trying to to bring across or whatever yeah it's um i think it's really key to really be concise with knowing what exactly you want to say obviously go through the homework to know what all the details are mm-hmm. but being able to just kind of know what the concise thought is and then adding the details later is absolutely fine you don't need to kind of like recite it out um yeah. otherwise it will feel and you can definitely hear that it's quite dead in the voice right like have dead memorized it. it doesn't sound so live doesn't feel like that you're speaking to somebody yeah yeah that makes sense um i think it's noticeable too when people use like a teleprompter unless oh yeah you can see the eyes going you kind of know broadcasters use it all the time but yeah. when people yeah they're too busy reading versus actually connecting yeah yeah and so that's why i mean i'm like when i i didn't even realize there was such a thing but you can have a phone or a tablet that's set up I don't know with a mirror or something that projects the text or whatever in front of the camera lens so that you can have like a a home studio teleprompter but I'm like oh that's super cool I need that but then I realized like that's not exactly how I want to portray my information anyway and um and I think it's it is somewhat antithetical to the whole flow state because I like to essentially get into that state when, whether it's delivering information or podcasting to, yeah, make it authentic and, and just go with what's in your, in your brain and in your gut and you already know. So it's, it's much more, it's going to be way more difficult to do that if you're just reading from a script. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with that. <laughs> um, and so something that, I'm really curious about because I've heard, you know, like I, I talk to friends that make their own podcasts or do cartoons, voiceovers and everything. And I've heard that there are some tips and tricks around improving, particularly vocal quality, you know, avoiding or getting rid of like the pops and clicks and things. Um, and I've heard things like eating an apple before doing a voiceover, um, or I think another one that's pretty common is avoiding coffee because of dehydrating. Are there things like that that are like actually legit or are those just kind of ideas that some people come across with? Well, the whole popping thing has to do with articulation, right? I mean, some mm. of the S's are more sibilant, meaning that they sound more like yeah and um it really depends on your articulation so again it's vocal development in terms of looking more focused into the direction of articulation and knowing how to control those sounds as we make them obviously having a pop guard is easy to kind of take away that but if you pop too hard anyway it's going to go through the guard so it's really about working on your own articulation there's no like magic pill that will take it away but definitely with coffee and things like like alcohol they are dehydrating liquid um so in part of um vocal health good vocal health and maintaining that um i actually just posted something up on my instagram uh, i think it was yesterday cool. i think yesterday and it was about your daily vocal health checklist and just a couple points on there but definitely drinking hydrating liquids like water or herbal teas even caffeinated teas is what's dehydrating which is why coffee is dehydrating mm-hmm. and it does take six hours for your vocal folds to hydrate once yeah. you drink 
So that means that if you're recording in the morning, you should likely be drinking overnight, <laughs> even though it's a little bit of pain in the bum in the middle of the night. But um, hydration is key and that's hydration from inside out warming up from inside out so that you get the the vocal the vocal folds from the outside in in that hot shower breathing and that steam mm -hmm. and um, like you were saying tony robbins doing his own vocal warm-up because his voice is quite low but the energy that he's speaking from is from high to low and how loud you're going you have to warm up all the different aspects of your vocal qualities from high pitch to low pitch so that you've already hit them once so that it doesn't just break when you hit them oh, all of okay. a sudden because you have the emotional energy to go there so by opening up the voice in that way that's what helps with the vocal quality which is why most people who are working on their voices will warm up before they have any calls or even if they've been sitting for three hours they might need to do a little tiny bit of a warm-up before they start speaking again mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense um yeah the the uh the six hour water thing when you mentioned that in the in the webinar the other day really stood out to me i'm like oh wow that's because you know i may definitely don't um like i cut off my water consumption at a certain point but i think overall an, another good thing with that is just knowing where your water consumption each day should be because i think i forget what percentage the vast majority of people are are not dehydrated but underhydrated. you know they're not consuming as much water as they should and we often mistake our our hunger signals for for thirst as well so making sure hydration is is up is really important something that's i wonder how it relates you know because when you're drinking lots of water it's sometimes important to have the right amount of electrolyte as well and sodium so that you're not flushing that out how does that play into um like the voice and, and, and control. Cause I can imagine, you know, if you're overdoing it on the sodium, that would be something that's dehydrating as well. But is it, yeah. is it important, you know, because it is, it's muscle function. So you need the electrolytes too, right? Yeah, I think it's honestly kind of like working out if you think about it, but it's like a vocal workout and yeah. obviously kind of just go with the guidelines of how much sodium you should have a day and don't overdo it. But most of us do anyway. Mm -hmm. But then again, then you just need to actually drink more water to kind of dilute that in the system. But in general, I don't think people talk too much just strictly about how much sodium intake that you have in the body, but it definitely has some things to do with, you know, exactly what you're talking about, the muscle function. And if you do have a lot of sodium in your diet, make sure you do drink a lot of water to dilute it because it is dehydrating. Um, but definitely also you get kind of like that dry mouth feeling sometimes when you right. have MSG or too much salt. And therefore, if you're feeling that your mouth doesn't feel lubricated enough, and especially if you're recording, you can sometimes hear a lot of the sounds that kind of go... <laughs> sounds inside the mouth yeah and and just being aware of that will be very very key especially if you have a business that is in podcasts or more so audio or voiceover mm -hmm. yeah very interesting um and then as we kind of i have a question i don't I, and i just want your thoughts on it because um in regards to tony robbins um and his his voice has changed dramatically over the years right so I, I was just recently doing one of his audio programs, which is, I think, recorded maybe in the 90s. So he's got, he definitely doesn't have the gravelly 
tone to his voice that he does now where you know it sounds like it sounds literally like he's got like gravel in his in his voice um it's a little bit higher and like much smoother sounding um my thought on it is that it's it's probably you know he's so loud on stage or whatever it's like scar tissue or whatever that builds up over time but my other thought is I know he's so big because he had a, a pituitary tumor that he basically kept growing. So there was extra growth hormone in his system, which I believe would also impact the vocal cords and make them grow. Um, do those things make sense or what do you, what are your kind of thoughts there? I actually can't answer that because I don't know. And also I don't know what he sounded like um, okay. a long time ago. So I have no idea what that sound is. Yeah. Um, I do know what his sound is like now. It's very resonant. It is resonant, but it does have a gravelly quality to it. And obviously the gravelly quality is not the the clearest channel that you can have. So gravel, the gravelly sound in anybody's voice, generally speaking, means that there is something blocking the airway or that there is a little bit of kind of like it's sitting on something. Therefore, uh-huh. there's the gravel sound. Because if it was just a clear sound, you would have a clear airway and a clear closure of different muscles working inside the mouth to make those sounds. But likely kind of like when you listen to women from California, they're kind of like, uh, kind of back here, a lot of, you know, and then, yeah, yeah, instead of yeah, it's a yeah. And when it's sitting on the back there, it's called vocal fry. So therefore it's just, um, it's just the throat that's kind of closing up a little bit and letting that sound sit on the throat. Um, so that might have something to do with it, but I'm not sure about his own vocal journey or yeah. where it's come from. But that's a, that's really, really interesting. Um, I think it's a really interesting thing to note because then you know that since you've been on the webinars that you've been thinking about these things and you've been applying them to li- when you're listening to other people's voices and that will sure. start to hone your own voice and work on it because honestly, listening and analyzing is probably one of the easiest ways into really understanding when you're seeing the differences there, then you can start to see the differences in yourself and you can apply it in that way. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. And I mean, after doing this podcast for a year and, um, I mean, vlogging started, I've been making videos for the spa for a year as well, but the vlogging every week for, since the start of this year, um, obviously there's a lot of time where I am having to analyze and, and I guess criticize myself. I, I'm I'm actually pretty good at not criticizing myself as much. I kind of just tune it out and and um see myself more as like a um a projector for the information than like me. I've gotten out of the self-consciousness quite a bit, which I'm stoked about because it took a lot of time to to get out of my own way in that sense. But um yeah, no, his his voice is just something that um especially when I heard this, when I listened to these audio tapes from the nineties or whatever, and the change in him just is really drastic. So I was very curious, but is, is scar tissue from like, you know, like metal singers or something, is that something that does affect the, the, the pitch or the, the tone of voice? If you heard about like a vocal hemorrhage and things like that, especially Mm. when they've been, um, 
when people aren't using their voice gentle gently enough for how it's actually supposed to work you can get vocal notes and things like that especially in singing and uh, some people can get it in speaking too especially if you're not speaking in a very effective and efficient manner to use the voice and definitely it can have a complete um voices can change and it can definitely change the quality it can get gravelly it can get quite low and then people are stuck with it because also it hasn't been diagnosed early enough and that's when you really need to go see a speech language pathologist or speech language therapist in the uk hmm. and um, those are the people that will help look and diagnose what's going on there and if you need surgery if you need an endoscope endoscopy into there just to see what's going on and um and give you the remedies for it yeah. yeah. Interesting. Um, kind of, I guess, shifting gears again, I just want to, you know, this, this whole Zoom kind of style of the podcast changing is, is also checking in with people and, and seeing like, how is, how's life or what are the things that you're doing during this lockdown? And you're in London, are things still locked down there? Yeah, they've kind of like lifted, they didn't really lift restrictions, but like they kind of made it a little bit, they eased it a little bit, which wasn't very clear either, where they ask you to go to work only if you can't work from home, but then they tell you to walk and bike to work if you can, but sometimes you live very far, like usually a 40 minute tube journey. And um and they can only, I think inside the tube right now, that you can only occupy about 15% of the space on the tube mm. so that you maintain social distancing. But so that's kind of what's going on now. And you can go for unlimited unlimited time um, exercise outside now before it was like a walk a day for like an hour oh. or like a 30 minutes a day. And that was it. But it's okay. not like they can track you anyway. Yeah. But now they say go out for more than once a day i think that's mostly it though because they still ask you to make only essential trips yeah but they're just saying if you can't work from home you can go you go to work but figure out how to get there whilst maintaining social distancing and avoid traveling in the rush hour times so i suppose yes we're still in lockdown it's just um a little bit it doesn't seem very much different to me right now but um but I think um, things probably won't get back to normal here until I would say, I, I mean, some businesses might be, some businesses in the city might be occupying their buildings soon, maybe in June or a little bit after that. Mm-hmm. But I I think it's going, a lot more people are going to be working from home. So therefore, a lot of businesses, even my own, I think are going to need to have a lot more of the virtual training and things like that. Yeah. I think it's... um. It's, it's not bad to have virtual training because it becomes more accessible for people who are not just in your regional area anyway. For sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, um, so the, at least it's actually kind of provincially based. So each province has a little bit of a different, um, kind of timeline and everything right now in Ontario, as of today was sort of the stage one of reopening. Um, which is is quite limited. It's kind of like uh, non non emergency surgeries are like it's mostly medical based, but also things like the garden centers and and hardware stores. And so it's not really um, if, at least on on my end, it's still kind of the same thing. Um, not clear yet when sort of the the non essential 
wellness businesses will be allowed to reopen. I'm hoping that it'll be in like the next stage, whether that's two or four weeks from now, but um, it's not actually been announced. So it's still kind of up in the air and unknown. Um, we, we definitely like, I mean, the whole flatten the curve concept, like, and Peterborough in particular, you know, being a smaller town, um, things, things didn't get hit super hard. Like there's been difficulties around the area, but um, I don't know, at least for me, it, like you weren't allowed to go places, but it didn't feel like too much of a, a change or maybe it's because I'm used to it now. It's been two months now. So it's, it's the new normal as we're calling it. Um, but but yeah, it's I can definitely tell that people are getting restless and stuff. Like there's a lot more people going out and and driving around again. It it did feel like a ghost town for a while, but um, mm-hmm. things are getting a little bit busier. And I'm hoping that that's I'm hoping it's not too soon because I would hate to have to go through this all again in a couple of months if if people are kind of loosening up the 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 restrictions a little too soon yeah it feels the same over here too after they made the announcement i think on sunday or something there's so many cars out yeah and um, just feels like that it's i mean like the uk obviously it's way worse than canada but they're what fearing a second peak is why i think a lot of people want to hear a little bit of lifting yeah it depends on which way you go and i think it might be it's probably a little bit more 50 50 yeah yeah, yeah. No, it's it's challenging um and then i guess so you you've uh you've lived in several big cities now which what's the what what are kind of the things that kind of bring them together or divide them that make them unique and interesting that, that I, yeah. um, okay so i've lived in vancouver grew up in vancouver then mm-hmm. i moved uh, for university first to waterloo so it's not that big of a city it's more so a university town but i visited you down in toronto yeah and then right. I moved to london which is massive um vancouver is a major city but does not feel like a major city okay. <laughs> feels like you know everybody there so I think that's the main difference going to Toronto I never spent too much time in Toronto but definitely it feels like a very American it's probably like an Americanized major city yeah. in Canada yeah. but Alberta feels more Americanized as um, a province to me um, and um, so Toronto feels like a, a mini New York and mm-hmm. um, London is just super international like everybody is basically not from the UK or London sometimes when you run into them. I don't meet a lot of Canadians here, but when I do go to Canadian events, I see Canadians here. But a lot of the people who sound North American are from America. And um, there's a lot of Europeans here, lots of Europeans. And um, because my husband is British, um, I do meet quite a bit of British people. but other than that, with my business and, and who it's geared towards, I don't see as many British people, especially if you're looking for me for accent training. Um, but with local development, I do see a lot of Brits, but also a lot of international people. I guess I should ask where everybody can find you online. You're definitely active on LinkedIn, which is great for your business and, and, uh, and all of that. Um, where else, where can people find you and get connected? 
Yeah, um, so I'm on all different types of social media. Uh, you can find me mostly on LinkedIn first. So LinkedIn, Sylvie Louie. And um, I have a Facebook, uh, sorry, a LinkedIn company page as well. So SLVC Voice Training in London. I'm also quite active on Facebook and Instagram. So on Facebook, you can find me as SLVC Voice Training in London again. And on Instagram, I strictly speaking VC. Um, I'm on Twitter, don't really know how to use it, but <laughs> but that one is Sylvie Louie BC. They all have different names. So I'm sure that you'll link them below so that you can yep. see them all. Yeah. But no, it's I mean, that's the it's the struggle, right? But um you've been crushing it on the the platforms that you are frequenting. So those are that's the key. It's not necessarily about the, how widespread you are as long as you're getting reaching the people on the platforms that matter the most. A lot of work, doesn't it? Thank you for listening to the Flowcast. Take a moment to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or YouTube for the video version and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps to connect the podcast to those who will find value in it. Hit the share button and send this episode to a friend or two. And a big thanks as always to Flow Spa for making it possible for us to keep making this podcast. Flow Spa is Peterborough's float therapy and sports recovery center, dedicated to providing the ultimate relaxation experience. Whether you need physical relief from pain or a deep state of mental relaxation and calm, or even the best sports recovery methods to help you recover from your training, Flow Spa is where you can find your flow.